0: Welcome to Smart Poker Study, brought to you by ThePokerForge.com. I'm your coach, Sky Matsuhashi, and this is the podcast for profitable play and study strategies. Along with those, I give you action steps to take because action is the greatest teacher. My goal is to turn you, my student, into the player that you want to be on your poker journey, one step at a time. Let's do this. Holy cow, poker peeps. I am super excited about today's episode. It's another interview episode and I have on today mindset coach extraordinaire Pat Baylooney. This guy totally knows his stuff and we have a great discussion uh, about all things poker mindset and it's more than just a discussion. It was kind of like a therapy session for me. So as you're listening to it, uh, it goes on for about 45 minutes or so, but we talk a ton of different poker mindset things. He helps me get to the bottom of some deep seated poker resentment from a hand of seven years ago. Right. But I learned so much and I guarantee you were going to absolutely love Pat Baylooney in this episode. Uh, But it's also critical that as you listen, or maybe after you listen, go to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash Pat. I went through and I re-listened to the entire podcast. I took copious notes, so everything that I learned from Pat is in the show notes page. Plus, there's a link to his website, patbaylooney.com, and uh, a link to his most recent article, which is posted on Smart Poker Study. The article is called How Emotions Can Destroy Your Poker. So you can see all of that, listen to the podcast, you can even watch the YouTube video of our interview uh, uh, on today's show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com slash pat. All right, no more games. It's time to get to business. Here is Pat Baylooney. Gambate! We win, and they get the chicks. That sucks, dude. But I'm telling you, it's jobs. We gotta get jobs. Then we get the khakis. Then we get the chicks. Starting tomorrow, we gotta stop playing games. We have an interview today, which I don't often do, as you know, normally solo podcaster. But on the podcast today, we have Pat Baylooney. He is a uh, mindset consultant, a trained Demartini method facilitator. He's also a financial market trader as well. He uses his understanding of human behavior and psychology to help traders, poker players, uh, athletes, entrepreneurs, help all of them sharpen their edge when it comes to doing their job, right? So welcome to the uh, podcast, Pat.
1: Thanks so much for having me, Sky. I appreciate it.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm glad you reached out and we met via email. It's it's finally nice to put a voice to all those words I've been seeing on the emails over and over again, you know? 100%. Same goes. Yeah, good, good. So where are you located right now?
1: I am in Melbourne, Australia. So uh, probably on the other side of the world to most of the viewers, but Yeah.
0: Good. Yeah. Over here uh, in the United States, Northern Hemisphere, of course, we're uh, in the middle of spring right now. Nice 80 degree weather and stuff. What's it like? I imagine you're heading into fall right now over there.
1: Yeah, we've got fall, autumn. Um starting to cool down a little bit, but we've got it's it's beautiful. I think my, my favorite season in the year.
0: Is it? Oh, good. Yeah, mine too. Up here, the fall when the leaves start to turn color, starts to get cold. You got um, uh, Halloween, of course. Growing up, my favorite holiday. And you know, that's an interesting thing. I just... When it comes to other countries, I've never spent time in Australia. Don't know anything really what's going on down there. Do you guys celebrate Halloween or do you have anything similar to it?
1: We do. We 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 have Halloween. I'm guessing from um, from the states, we've, mm-hmm. we've taken that on board. Um, but our Halloween's in October, October 31st. Yeah. So um.
0: Same as ours. Yeah. So you do like it's a spring Halloween. Yeah. Yeah, and for us, yeah, we, it's we, getting a, cold, so season. it's a it's a fall to winter. Halloween for us. So, I have a couple of questions for you. When did you get started uh, with with the whole financial market, financial trading aspect?
1: Yeah, so I started about um, five years ago in the financial markets, um, and I think this will probably be quite useful to your audience as well because um, I think there's parallels between you know traders and poker players, especially in the the mental side of things. Um, but I pretty much got involved in the financial markets because I was curious about them, and I really enjoyed. Uh, you know, uh, understanding mainly what I realized is I really, un- uh, really enjoyed the psychology behind the markets um, because the markets, similar to poker, is an expression of human psychology and human decision making. Um, and I really, really, really enjoyed that. Um, and I pretty much got involved in the financial markets by seeking a coach or a mentor um, in that industry who was doing incredibly well at the time. Um, and I studied under him initially and I learned a lot from him. Um, And I pretty much just went off and learned bits and pieces from everybody I could Mm -hmm. um, and amalgamated all that information to something that worked for my personality and worked for me. Um, And that's currently what I use in the financial markets now.
0: Nice. I like that. Working or using what works for you. So there are some traders out there. They're day traders. um, There's people who trade, you know, the medium term, a few weeks, long term traders. What works for you? What kind of trader are you?
1: Well, I, um, I personally don't resonate with the short-term day trading, scalping strategies. I'm more of a um, what I would classify as a hybrid, so a, a, a mix between a, a day trader and a swing trader. Um, so a little bit, um, I guess I take less positions um, and I take longer term positions, mainly because um, that's what I've seen works for me based on the data I have, based on my previous experiences. Um, and also, it gives me a lot of time, Sky, to work with clients and to um, to focus on doing you know, coaching, consulting, um, because I really, really love that also.
0: Nice. Now, when you talk about clients, um, when you're actually trading, are you trading your own money or do you have people under your wing who you invest for them?
1: I do both. I do both. Okay. Um, so yeah, I have my own personal money. I've also got um, other people's money that I manage as well. Um, and uh, obviously, that's a, a pretty successful model in the financial industry. So I'm looking at Um, continuing to scale that and grow that of, you know, management of other people's money as well.
0: Nice. Good. So thinking in terms of mindset, right? Spend, not spending, but investing your own money might be a little bit different mindset and a little bit different kind of like, I don't know, I don't know what what the word might be, but uh, uh, what, than, than investing other people's money, right? Like for us mm-hmm. poker players, when we have our poker bankroll on the line, you know, buying for a hundred dollars, if we lose it, oftentimes it's no big deal. That's our poker bankroll. But maybe mm-hmm. if our family gives us money and we go play in the World Series main event for 10 grand and we got eight different people giving us a thousand dollars each, that might be a little bit more stressful, you know So just thinking of first before we get to the poker, for you investing other people's money, does that create a lot of stress and is it difficult to pull the trigger on some of those trades?
1: Well, it's de- there's definitely an added level of, of um, complexity there. I wouldn't say it's more difficult, but I would say it's something you have to be aware of. Um, something I, I The way I sort of conceptualize it or understand it and coach it um, is there's a receiver and there's a perceiver. So when you're just managing your own money or when you're just playing as a poker player on your own bankroll, usually you're the only person who's responsible for your own decision-making. And say if you take a loss, you only have resentment relative to you, for example. Um, but if you're managing someone else's um, bankroll, there's also someone else involved there. So you're sharing a little bit of the emotional or um, well, there's an additional component to the emotional responses as well, because not only are you um, resentful of losing the money, but you're also maybe feeling a little bit of guilt relative to the other person as well. Um, so I wouldn't say it's more difficult, Sky, but I would say it's something that um, as, a, as a investor or a trader or as a poker player, you need to be aware of that there may be some lingering emotions relative to the other person. Um, and that's something that um, you can go on and, and, and address as well.
0: Yeah, definitely. So those lingering emotions, that resent of, or resentfulness of losing your own money, but then losing somebody else's, how would you get over it? Like, let's say you took a stance on a position and you ended up losing your client and yourself, maybe 25% of your assets. How do you, how do you emotionally get over that?
1: Well, I think... Um, uh, there's, uh, there's preventative measures that you put in place firsthand, b- b- beforehand to um, obviously help uh, mitigate the chances of that happening. Um, So I think something that's an incredibly important, something that I've experienced in my own journey, because by the way, I haven't only been successful with my trading and management of other people's money as well. There's been um, things that I've perceived as failures or setbacks in there. Um, and something I learned really, really crucially in those moments were the importance of expectations um, and setting grounded expectations when you take on that that capital um, before you before you take on that capital. Um, so communicating the risks, communicating the downsides, putting contingencies in place to obviously lower the probabilities of those um, those downsides happening, but also putting everything on the table and bringing everything to surface and talking about worst case scenarios initially, and having that conversation upfront and honestly, I think is incredibly important um, because it saves a lot of the emotional um things later down the track um but yeah I, i'd say a lot of it's more a preventative measure and putting things in place initially than it is having to deal with it afterwards but in saying that if, if you didn't initially put those preventative measures in and um and you go through that experience there's still lessons to learn there and there's still great things you can draw from that and opportunities you can draw from that also
0: yeah Without a doubt. And preventative measures, I mean, the first thing that comes to mind for me is not putting all your eggs in one basket, right? Spreading your investments out, diversifying among many things. And that's kind of like the idea that poker players have bankroll rules, right? And we don't buy mm-hmm. in and risk 50% of our bankroll on one tournament or one cash game, right? You want to have mm-hmm. 40 times your buy in you buy into one thing. Or if you're a tournament player, 100 buy-ins, and you just buy into one tournament. If you win, great. You win some money. If you lose, it's only one tenth or or one 100th of your stack, right? So it sounds like as far as a trading, trading and um, poker kind of like relationship there, we're kind of on the same thing, diversification and bankroll management also. 100%
1: 100%, Sky, and that's something I've noticed with the um, advanced traders, and I guess advanced poker players also, is they have risk management and risk protocols. Um, For me personally, and um, what I've seen with a lot of successful traders is, I only risk 1% of my overall capital on any individual trade Oh. Um, because I understand there's a, uh, a probability model there and say, for example, I have a, a 60 or 70% chance of being successful in a position, then what risking 1% allows me to do is, uh, average it out with a, a law of large numbers and take enough of the sample size, a thousand, 10,000 positions over a, you know, a 10 year period to let those averages play out and to approximate that 60 to 70%, um, so I think, yeah, absolutely. Risk management, risk protocol is, is number one. Capital mm-hmm. bre- preservation in both poker and trading is, is incredibly, incredibly important and investing as well.
0: Without a doubt. That makes a ton of sense. Now, you're speaking about this stuff as a trader yourself and a coach, a mental, uh, mental coach, I guess we could say. Oh, I had one quick question. What's a martini method? What is that?
1: Okay. So the martini method is, um, is a process that I am uh, trained in, like, like mentioned. Um, and pretty much what it is, is it's a set of systematic questions that help make you aware of things that you weren't aware of beforehand. Um, so let's use an example. For example, if someone um, is going through an experience in their life and they perceive that to be a terrible event, um, part of the Martini method, one part of the Martini method is to go to the moment of perception of where and when you perceive that um, and ask yourself a balanced question to make you aware of the other side of that event. So, if someone's labeling an event a terrible event, that means they must be consciously aware of the downsides of that event, what they missed out on, what they lost in that moment. But they must be unconsciously aware of the advantages to that event, the opportunities, the benefits, the gains. Um, so part of the D Martini method is awakening you to what you weren't currently aware of in that moment. Um, and a lot of the coaching, consulting I do with clients is asking balanced questions to make you aware of what you initially weren't aware of. Um, and what you find is when you become fully aware of an event, the emotions subside as well. Um, because emotions are feedback uh, feedback mechanisms helping you um, to be aware of the fact that you have an incomplete awareness towards something. So if you're sad over an event or you're resentful towards an event, that to me is feedback telling me that I'm missing half the equation there missing the opportunities I gain from that, missing the benefits and missing the advantages from that. So going back to those moments and making yourself aware of the other side um, is part of what the D Martini method is, um, making yourself fully aware and getting grateful for events and getting grounded and present with events as well.
0: Nice. So that's really interesting. Uh, so if we, if we think about a poker example where expectations, uh, you know, you have expectations with a really strong hand, end up losing, you get resentful and really angry on it. In the moment, let's say you were like behind my back, you know, I was playing poker. You were watching me playing. I have pocket aces. I get it all in pre-flop against pocket fives. I end up losing and I start to get pissed off. I break my mouse. What would you say to me Demartini method wise to really help me like see the logic and get beyond the emotions in that moment?
1: So, is this a is this a real event or is this just a um, is this it's just a, an example?
0: It's just an example. I've I've never broken a mouse or anything, but I do get angry when my pocket aces all in preflop against pocket fives loses. I mean, I'm like a, a 85 percent favorite right there. Fifteen percent of the time, I'm going to lose. So there is some of that expectation, you know. But in the moment, what could I put into my head? What could I think about? What could I do to help me ease the pain and get beyond it and start and, and continue playing poker?
1: Okay, so you have got an actual example of where and when you had a resentment towards, I guess, a hand that you played, but it didn't meet up to your expectations.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, you okay, want me to give so, you an example?
1: Yeah. yeah okay. We'll, we'll um, actually we'll we'll do it. I'll show you. I'll show you how we can go through and, and do some work. That if that if you think that'll be valuable to the audience,
0: I definitely think so. I okay. uh, I can't think of an example. I can. No, I can't. Okay. So this was so a live go, game, like not an online go, game. I'm sorry.
1: Go go to that specific moment. Where and when you perceived yourself displaying a trait, action, or inaction that you dislike or resent in that moment. So just go get present with that moment, Scott.
0: Okay, it was late at night, maybe 10 p.m. Okay, you got, you got the moment? Room. I'm sorry? You got the moment? Yeah, I got the moment.
1: Okay. okay, where were you when you perceived that? Where were you physically when you perceived that?
0: Sitting at the table in a, in a live card room surrounded by eight other players and the dealer.
1: Okay, okay, great. And when was it?
0: Uh, this might've been like seven years ago, uh, in a, li- in a, in a live, uh, casino.
1: Okay. So it was about seven years ago in a live casino. You were at the card room at that table. Yes. Okay. So get present, present in that moment. And was it a, a weekday or was it a weekend? It was a weekend. Okay. Was it a Saturday or a Sunday?
0: Uh, definitely a Saturday. Okay.
1: And what time of the day was it? Was it during the day or late at night? 10 PM ish. Okay. So 10 PM Saturday Seven years ago, in that card room at that table. Yes. Great. So we got you present in that moment. Now, what specific trait, action? Are you resentful towards yourself, or you resentful towards another individual at that moment?
0: (laughs) The individual. Okay. The other.
1: So. Okay. There was one other individual that you're resentful to in that moment. Yes. Great. And what specific trait, action, or inaction did you perceive that other individual? displaying or demonstrating that you dislike or resent in that moment?
0: He called somebody's raise and then I made a re-raise on the button in the best position, made a re-raise, everyone folded, and then he called again with a nine deuce offsuit against my pocket tens.
1: Okay. And why, why are you resentful towards that? What does that represent to you in that moment?
0: A fish making the most terrible of plays, the most terrible of calls. I realize that that is giving me theoretical value because the hand's not over yet. I have such a strong hand versus him. But at the same time, he plays hands like that in order to crack big pairs and really tilt players like me who are, I don't know, more aggressive in nature. You know, So he's just doing a lot of calling, trying to see a lot of flops, trying to crack big hands, and I was resentful okay. of that.
1: Okay, so what does that represent to you in that moment? Is he trying to exploit you? Is it, what is it in that moment that you perceive that you're resentful towards?
0: Um, he is, I guess he's 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 playing hands that he knows he shouldn't, in hopes that he hits something on the flop to tilt me and to take my stack, of course. But that's okay, the so thing. Playing,
1: playing unprobabilistic hands just to tilt you.
0: There you go. That's a good way to put it. Yes.
1: Is that is that resonate or did I put words in your mouth there?
0: No, you're good. That's perfect. Yeah.
1: Okay. So um, this may be a little bit eye-opening to a lot of people and a little bit humbling at times as well, Sky. Um, but we only resent in other people parts that they're reminding of, of ourselves that we're, we have shame about. So the only reason we would get uh, resentful towards another individual is because they're reminding us about parts of ourselves that we're, we have shame about or shame about. Okay. So I'm going to ask you now to go to a specific moment where and when you perceived yourself displaying or demonstrating that same or similar trait of playing hands just to tilt somebody else. So where and when you perceive yourself displaying or demonstrating the same or similar action as this other individual that you're resentful to.
0: Um, I have to say that, I don't really do it ever to tilt other people, but I do it to try to fight the odds and catch like, catch a draw or catch a hand that I know I'm behind at the time, but I make okay. the call of their raise or their bet. I don't do it okay. to tilt, and, but yeah.
1: Okay, so I'm going to hold you accountable here. I'm going to get you to find a moment where and when you perceived yourself displaying or demonstrating as same of a trait as this other individual. So playing unprobabilistic hands just to tilt, just to piss someone else off. I'll hold you accountable here.
0: Gotcha. I can't, I can't come so, up with a direct. I, I know I've done it in the I'm past, gonna, but I can't come gonna, up with a time.
1: Okay, well, I'm going to hold you accountable. Let's get, okay. let's get one. I just, okay. I just want to, I, I just want you to see because this is, this is the whole, this is the whole process, making you aware of things that you aren't consciously aware of It's in your head. You so know, go to a specific.
0: I'm thinking of a time. Very, okay. very recently, online uh, a hand happened online where I stayed in when I knew I shouldn't because I was pissed off at the other player and I wanted Just to, to get catch something it. to get revenge on him.
1: Okay, so in that moment, you can see yourself displaying or demonstrating same or similar trait as this individual you're resentful to seven years ago.
0: Yes, exactly. Yes, I can.
1: Okay. Okay. Good. And is that a little bit humbling at times? So you can see that where and when you display the same action that helps take off a little bit of the resentment as well.
0: For sure, it does. The fact that I am guilty of doing the same thing that I'm really pissed off at this guy for doing. I'm not mad about it anymore, but now that I'm thinking about it, I'm kinda, my anger is building, you know? Um, okay. But yes, so, I understand. I do the same thing that I am blame other people for.
1: Great, so right there, that's a level of awareness now where, um, yeah, this is, this is gonna perfectly summarize what we're talking about. Um, Epictetus, one of the great philosophers, way back, said that initially we blame others, right? The next journey along the, the state of personal development is then blaming ourselves, right? Which is where you're at now. Gotcha. You went from blaming this other guy to realizing you do the same actions yourself, you're blaming yourself. And then he said the final stage of personal development is realizing that there's nothing or no one to blame. For okay.
0: Sure. Makes sense. So yeah.
1: Let's, let's go back to this moment where and when you perceived this individual displaying and demonstrating that trait of playing hands just to tilt you.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Seven years ago at that card table in that casino, Saturday at 10 p.m. Yeah. Okay. Now, how in that moment was that individual displaying or demonstrating that trait, action or inaction, a benefit and service to you and your poker in that moment? How did it serve uh, you?
0: It served me by... Uh, he's just making a play when he is a, such a mathematical dog in the situation against my really strong hand and probably my perceived range as well. So he was, by, with, with that play he made, he was handing me theoretical value, you know, playing a hand that, uh, like you said, unprobabilis- unprobabilistically shouldn't have been playing.
1: Okay, so how, do, how does that serve you in that moment? Does that make you more money? Does that give you a better advantage at the table?
0: Oh, it doesn't make me more money, but it, it makes me realize that this is why poker is profitable. These kinds of fish are in the game, making their bad decisions, their mathematically incorrect decisions the way that they are. And what I need to do, like this is one of those, scenes, those things where when I relive the moment, when I replay it in my head, um, and I should come to the realization that this guy, the way he's playing is good for me and good for everybody else who wants to profit in poker. Because of him, players like him, I can make money in the game.
1: And how specifically in that moment is he helping you make more money?
0: Well, he's not helping me make more money in that moment because the hand wasn't over.
1: Okay, so how in that moment was him playing an unprobabilistic hand just to tilt you a benefit and service to you in that moment? Because everything has two sides to it. Uh If we're resentful to this individual, we're just assuming that what he did only brought us drawbacks. So I'm holding you accountable to see the other side of the action he did to you so you can start to see that him doing that is actually serving you.
0: Yeah. Well, he just made a mathematically incorrect play, which just benefits me in the moment. Before the flop turn and river come, at least pre-flop, he's making a mistake. I'm capitalizing, or not capitalizing, Great. I'm profiting on that mistake.
1: So you've got a, a higher uh, a probability of winning because now there's more money in the pot as well. And you've got better odds at hand in that hand. Exactly. With the hand yes. you have. Yes. Great. And how else is him... Uh, playing an unprobabilistic hand. And the other component here is you perceive him doing that just to put you on tilt.
0: Not not just to put me on tilt, but that's, but that's kind of the result of, of cracking my big hand when I come over the top with a big re-raise like that. He's going to know that I have a really strong hand, and that's his opportunity to hit something great on the flop and then get my stack from me.
1: Okay, so how else in that moment was him playing an unprobabilistic hand to put you to try and put you on tilt a benefit and service to you and your poker in that moment.
0: I can't think of any other
1: I'm gonna hold you accountable. Let's have a look. Uh-huh. Go, go to that moment. Uh-huh. Go to that moment when you 10 p.m. at the casino Saturday night and you perceive this individual playing an unprobabilistic hand just to piss you off. How did that serve you guy in that moment? What did you gain? What did you learn?
0: Well, I learned that, uh, I guess I learned that fish like him can play with such terrible hands and-
1: And how does does that serve you? How does that serve you? Does that hold you accountable to sticking to your best poker game and sticking to playing your ranges and executing on your game plan?
0: Oh, I see. Yes, absolutely it does. Because I know if I played like him, I'm handing value to my opponents in the long run and I need to make smarter plays, not like him.
1: So is that individual in your life at that moment to hold you accountable to play your best poker in that moment? Oh, is Is he, he, is he, is he holding you accountable to executing on your game plan and sticking to your ranges and sticking to what you know best?
0: Um, well, yeah, I guess so because I know that he's a weak player and it's my job to exploit these weak players and I'm doing it right now in the moment, three betting him, re-raising him like I did. Um, you know, in position. So, yes.
1: Great. Let's go back to that moment. Let's get another one. How else in that moment is him playing unprobabilistic hands to tilt you a benefit and service to you and your poker in that moment?
0: I can't think of any other ways that it's a benefit to me.
1: What do you wish he was doing in that
0: moment, Sky? Do you wish he folded? No, no. I wish he called, but then I wish he didn't hit two pair on the flop and that I didn't lose my stack to him. So that's what I wish that he didn't ah. hit his hand. I'm happy he called because it's such a terrible call to be making. But then beyond that on the flop, that's when things went downhill when he hit his two pair nine deuce.
1: Okay. So in that, so it's, it's the him hitting, uh, it's him making the money and winning that pot based on an unprobabilistic hand that you're resentful to in that yes. moment. Yes. Okay. So, so how is him winning the hand a benefit and service to you. How is him winning an unprobabilistic hand a benefit and service to you in that moment? Uh,
0: Look in that
1: moment. Don't say it wasn't everything is two sides to it.
0: Well, I guess, you know, the fact that he played that hand and won the money like he did continues to convince him and the other weak players at the table to play that way, which in the long run benefits me.
1: So does that again, hold you accountable to continue in the long run executing on your plan, because ultimately you know he's going, he's getting rewarded for, uh, he's getting rewarded for result-based decisions, and you're sticking to your process-based decisions.
0: Yes, exactly. In the long run, I will defeat him and other players like him. In the short run, it's really painful because he just took my stack with nine deuce.
1: Okay, so how else in that moment was him taking that stack? a benefit and service to you?
0: Well, I lost all my money, so I got to go home and hang out with my wife for an hour before going to bed. I can't think of any right. other way that it was a benefit.
1: So, so did you strengthen your relationship with your wife because of that?
0: Oh, seven years ago, up? probably not. I mean, just hang out for an hour, watch TV or something, you know, maybe, maybe slightly strengthen our relationship, yeah.
1: Okay, let's go back to that moment, mm-hmm. 10 p.m., the casino, right? And he took the stack. He won the stack, right? Off what you perceived an unprobabilistic hand to be. How else in that moment was that a benefit and service to your poker? How else did it serve you in that moment? What did it teach you in that moment?
0: Oh, well... In that moment, I don't know that I learned it, but looking back on it afterwards, that anger and resentment I felt, as soon as I replayed the situation in my head, the fact that he called with nine deuce, I learned that that the results were bad, but the play leading up to that flop before he hit his two pair, that was good. But then I made some mistakes and I didn't realize that he hit such a strong hand post-flop. And I can learn from that. I can Uh, utilize my hand reading skills to put them on a range, engage how it interacts with the board, not just see my over pair of pocket tens as the winning hand and let's get it in post flop.
1: So do that hold you accountable to going through reviewing the game and learning from that experience?
0: Yep. For sure. For sure. I remember. Oh, go ahead.
1: So if in that moment he didn't win the hand and you won that hand, how would that be a drawback and disservice to you? Would you have missed out on some valuable learnings and lessons from that game?
0: Oh, wow. gone
1: back and reviewed it.
0: Probably. Yeah. One of the things I've always believed are mistakes or learning opportunities and failures or learning opportunities. Um, as long as you want to pursue it that way. And when you win, not always, but oftentimes when you win, you say, oh, my pocket tens beat is nine deuce. Great. What, what else is there to expect? And then you move on to the next hand and never think about it again. you know. But those big losses, those big emotional hurts, as long as you replay that and, and uh, go through the situation, you can learn something from it. And I think that's what I did. I took away some pretty valuable lessons from that.
1: Great, and let's let's go let's go and identify one more, and then I'll, I'll let you go. I'll, I'll let you out the my drawers, holding <laughs> okay. you accountable. Uh-huh. So in that moment, you wish that that individual didn't win the hand based on the unprobabilistic hand. Yes. Okay. And you wish you won that pot. Mm-hmm. Okay. So if in that moment you won that pot, and he didn't win the hand, how would that be a drawback and disservice to you? Because you're comparing your reality to a fantasy of what you wished happened. And as long as you assume there's more advantage and disadvantage to the fantasy, you're going to be resentful to what actually happened. Gotcha. So let's go in and crack that fantasy a little bit. How mm-hmm. in that moment would it be a drawback and disservice to you if you would won that hand?
0: I don't know how winning a hand would, would be a drawback to me.
1: Okay. And that's why it's painful to lose hands because you're comparing oh. the two. Yeah. Okay. So let's go in, let's go in and crack this a little bit. Okay. So let's go, let's go to that moment. Or actually to to okay, let's stick with this moment and we can do something else after. How in that moment at the casino, 10 p.m., right, again you perceive this individual winning the hand based on an unprobabilistic play. Is that accurate? Yes. Okay. So if in that moment you wish you had won that hand. Or in other words, he had lost that hand, the unprobabilistic play. How would that be a drawback and disservice to you if you had won that hand? Let's have a look in that moment.
0: I'm trying to put myself... I can't think of any drawbacks to winning the hand. I mean, I made a re-raise pre-flop. He called with a probabilistically very weak hand, a losing hand for the most part. And I would have you know, maybe won some more value throughout the hand. I can't think of any drawback, I'm sorry.
1: Would that have put you in a bit of a a set of pride winning that hand and unaware to certain things at the table or certain lessons in that experience?
0: Oh, for sure. For sure. Yeah, yeah. I would have have felt a little bit of pride. My chip stack would have been bigger. I would have been happy and uh, I would not have. Does
1: Does that mean you overlook things at times when you're happy and prideful and elated by the winnings?
0: Oh, for sure. For sure, yeah, okay. yeah. When when so you're did, busy stack, stacking chips, you know you're not going to be paying attention to the next hand. Maybe you're still happy and giddy over that prior hand. You're not going to be really thinking too much over the next full street or uh, full round, maybe.
1: Okay, so did losing that hand in that moment ground you, and did it hold you accountable to going through and being aware of the situation and extracting lessons and really diving deep and picking that scenario apart?
0: For me, it does for sure. A lot of players. They just get angry great. and then that's it. They leave the okay. hand and they, they get angry. They don't replay it. They don't think what they could have done better at any given time, you know? But yes, I try okay. when I lose big hands, I try to replay them and learn.
1: But in that moment you did, that that specific moment you did?
0: No, not right then. On the, In the car on the way home, I did.
1: Okay, great. So if you had won that big hand, again, if you had stayed at the table and won that big hand, you wouldn't have gone in and extracted the lessons that you had extracted by losing that that hand
0: that's exactly right i wouldn't have gone introspective i would have just stood up a half hour later uh, turned in my chips and went home and and forgot about that hand
1: great and which one's more beneficial for your long-term growth as a poker as a poker player the, is it the lessons is it is it the lessons and the refinement of your poker plan and refinement of your ranges and your refinement of understanding other people at the table that serves you in the long run
0: for sure, it does 100%. That's way better than winning just $200 from my opponent, you know?
1: Okay, so if you were to go through and understand and uh, uh, quantify how much you actually lost in that moment, right, would you say that the lessons you learned, you would pay for that tuition with that, that money you, you would, you perceived you would lost? Oh, for sure. So, do yeah. you see, so you can see that in that moment, if you change your perspective towards it, you didn't actually lose anything. You just paid for your tuition to have the accountability to go in there and extract those lessons.
0: That is such a cool idea. That's such a cool way to look at it. I just paid $220, a little over a hundred big blinds to learn a valuable lesson. Uh, as long as I take the time to go back and replay the hand and, and try to figure out what I did right and wrong uh, and learn from it. You're right. Yeah. That's a good way to look but at you it. Did. I love that. But you,
1: you did in that moment, didn't you, Sky? Uh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Shortly afterwards in oh, the car on the way home. Passed yeah.
1: that after that moment. So you yeah. can actually see that you paid that $220 to have the accountability, the drive, and the time in your car alone to go in there, review that hand, identify how you can refine your plan, how you can refine your ranges, refine reading people, and those situations in that moment.
0: 100%. Yes, I learned a ton from that hand uh, about seven Great. years ago.
1: Great, and then you can see from your from your journey as well, seven years to now, that little lesson you extracted from that, le- uh, from that moment probably served you on that seven year journey.
0: For sure. For sure. It has served me. And just the fact going over, like reviewing those big losing hands, doing that, that one time helps to reinforce the habit of always looking back at your losses and trying to learn from the losses. So there's, there's the, the lesson learned from that, but then also the habit developed by continuing that process all all the time.
1: Great. And you can see that if you had won that hand in that moment and won that $220, you would have won $220 but that probably wasn't as
0: scalable as the learnings you extracted from that from that moment. Definitely not as scalable. Yeah, unless I had your uh, skills as a trader, I <laughs> could have turned that two twenty into ten grand by now. But yeah,
1: <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, okay. So when you think back on that moment now and the initial resentment you had to that individual, right? Can you see that that individual doing what he did there was actually the perfect thing you needed in your journey? to extract the lessons you needed at that time to get you to where you
0: are now. 100%. It's so funny. I've always felt resentment towards him, even after reviewing the hand and thinking about it and learning some lessons from it, I've always felt resentment, but I love the idea now that I paid $220 to this individual for the lessons I learned from it. And I should be grateful for that time I spent with him and the lessons I learned because it's paying dividends from, you know, seven years ago until now.
1: Yeah. percent. And that's, uh, You know, when I work with a lot of traders and poker players, we do that exact same process towards wins and losses. And what I find very common is that losing streaks, right? When we perceive resentment and shame towards losing, it's actually the perfect thing we need to grow. Because whenever we perceive ourselves in a state of shame, we're going to do things to get back to priority. And we're going to review, we're going to extract lessons, we're going to tidy up processes to get us back to priority. So we ultimately learn most from our losses. And if you can make that connection in your head and your perception, you're no longer resent resentful towards losses. Right? There's a common there's a common phrase, you mentioned it before, like losses equal lessons. But you can you can just say that to yourself and it's and it's nebulous and it doesn't really mean anything. But if you go in there and you truly go to the moment and you see, all right, what truly were the lessons and the gains I got from this, the benefits I got from it, and you make the connection in your head and you neuroplastically change the brain by stacking different associations, different pathways, then you don't feel the resentment anymore,
0: right? For sure, yeah.
1: And the other the other thing we worked on there as well is a dynamic when we see a lot of poker players and traders win, they actually push themselves into a set of pride and they're unaware of the lessons they could have learned if they had lost. So they're almost blinded to the learnings in that moment and it stunts their growth because they're exaggerating themselves. They're not learning, they're stagnating and it stunts their growth ultimately.
0: That so is so I, interesting.
1: It's really important to find the advantages to losing, the disadvantages to winning, which we'll talk more about soon because people will probably be asking why the disadvantages to winning, right? To level both, so you're just in the best possible position to execute on your poker plan. You don't worry about the outcome. You focus on the process of execution of your plan, and that's when you go from thinking about, oh, I made a terrible decision because I lost, to did I make the right decision? Because this is what I've seen based on my ranges, based on my poker plan, based on my testing. And you can make result-based decisions as opposed to outcome-based decisions, which ultimately, that's what I've seen with the best poker players, best traders, is they stick to process-based um, decision-making as opposed to result-based decision-making.
0: Wow. Wow. That's incredible. That was a, that was a really good exercise. I feel like I should pay you (laughs) like spending some time on the couch, you know, having you psychoanalyze my prior decisions and my mentality and different stuff. That is such an awesome, that is so good. Yeah. You're right. When, when you're, if you're constantly winning, um, uh, like there's an old, um, Outer Limits episode from, from the 1950s or whatever. This guy was playing poker and he could never lose a hand, constantly winning and winning and winning. His enjoyment of poker just left, right? He just he, <clears throat> he lost the enjoyment because he's always- Etonic adaptation. Yeah, exactly. And it turns out he yeah. was in hell. And the hell for a poker player is always winning because now there's no challenge. There's no way to grow. There's nothing to learn uh, when you're constantly winning. So you're absolutely right. That is such, and I've never actually- put that together in my mind, right? Losing, I've always known that losing, like you had said, losing equals lessons or loss equals lessons. Mm -hmm. Um, But now I have a new way to kind of look at it. And I'm hoping that this will translate into me, um, uh, I guess, feeling less resentment when I get bad beats or when my pocket aces gets cracked or when a a player who I perceive as a weak player at the table actually ends up taking my stack, you know, that kind of stuff. Perfect.
1: Perfect. And the key thing there is going back to the moment of perception. Because at the moment of perception is when you can access the unconscious information, but the information was in your brain, Sky, you just weren't aware to half that information. Yeah. Um, and I love what you said there on growth as well. Um, I just want to, I would love to share something on, on the growth concept mm-hmm. that growth happens on the border of support and challenge. Right? We grow maximally on the border of support and challenge. I believe it's uh, referred to as the edge of chaos, in uh, a lot of dis- different disciplines, where they talk about maximum growth happens on the border of support and challenge, positive and negative, win and loss, build up, break down, right. And if we're constantly winning, 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 like you mentioned with that with that guy in that video on that movie, we don't grow, right? Because we're so blinded in such in such an exaggerated set of pride that we don't extract lessons. And if we constantly lose, 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 lose lose in our perception, then we're going to burn ourselves out. Whereas, in fact, maximum growth happens at the border of support and challenge. When you when you see in your perception that that event you once labeled bad actually has positives to it, you grow maximally. And when you see that event you once labeled all good has negatives towards it, you grow maximally because you're fully aware of the picture of the advantages and risks and you can grow to the next level with that.
0: Wow, that's incredible. And one <laughs> other thing I'd
1: love, love, to, love to bring back from that a little conclusion. We mentioned Epictetus before. He said that initially we blame the other person for let's think about this example seven years ago, right? That you initially blame this guy for doing an unprobabilistic hand and winning that hand. Mm-hmm. And then you went off and blamed yourself when you reflected that action and you realize you've done it as well, right? And then you realize there's nothing to blame. When you see how that individual actually served you and it actually helped you on your journey, there's nothing to blame there. You no longer see it as a, as a bad thing or resent, or resent, or resentful thing. Um, so I think that's a really powerful process to go through. If you're blaming other people, bring it to yourself, see where and when you've done the same action that'll help lower some of the resentment and then go and see how this individual doing it to you actually served you. That will also help clear some of the resentment as well.
0: Wow that's amazing. That's something that most if not all of poker players if they haven't already learned it, learned it, they definitely need to learn. That. I'm I'm going to without a doubt apply that <laughs> to my learnings from now on. All my bad beats, I'm going to I'm going to do my best to see it that way. It, well, I've it's it's been a long time since I really blamed the player. I developed a sense of gratitude all of these fish and all these maniac players. I developed a sense of I, I love them in my games because they're the ones who make poker profitable, even though sometimes <clears throat> they beat me with unprobabilistic hands and, and they make poker challenging and frustrating. Sometimes, you know, um, I've, I've, I've already developed that gratitude. So I don't have resentment anymore, but I guarantee a ton of my audience, a ton of other poker players out there. They have resentment every single day against Bob and Susan and who cracked their aces and that kind of stuff.
1: percent. I mean, we, we all do, right. There's, there's always individuals that we, Um, even just day to day we see, and you know, we maybe not resentful towards resentment's quite far up in that scale, but maybe a dislike Mm -hmm. or an unattractive towards, or we want to avoid, um, you can do exactly the same process as just ran you through, um, to get grateful for that individual um, as well. So there's different gradations to that scale.
0: Yeah. Without a doubt. Nice. Thank you so much for that exercise. (laughs) That was awesome. (laughs) I loved it. My pleasure, man. I'm,
1: I'm glad you got value from that.
0: That for sure. Uh, let me see. I, want, I do have one specific question for you. You know how uh, players, like sports players, people always talk about being in the zone. They play their best poker, best basketball when they're in the zone. They're fully uh, present in the moment, paying attention to all the information, everything that's going around. If you're not in the zone, you start a poker session online, you open up a couple tables and you feel like you're playing robotic poker, not thinking through your decisions. How would you recommend somebody get into the zone?
1: That's a that's a really great question. I love the word that you use there, which is presence, present in the moment. Um, there's obviously a huge uh, a huge craze for um, meditation now, right? And a lot of people are going out there and meditating. I, I guess that's the new cool thing to do now in performance, um, in Seems performance like sport is, and yeah. psychology. Um, the one thing I'd say on meditation is I think it's I think it's incredibly powerful if you use it as a tool to get present and not try and escape. From, from situations in your life, right? Training yourself to be able to either uh, get back to your breath or whatever you focus on to get present in the moment, as opposed to being in the past or future, which is where the emotions are created. Um, but I would say one level past that, because I'm sure every every psychologist uh, psychology co- coach would say meditate. But one level beyond that, another tool I'd encourage um, your audience to use is the exact process I just ran you through as well. And let me explain let me explain why. If we're at a table and we're distracted, that either means two things. We're trying to avoid something or we're trying to seek something. Okay? If we if we're distracted at the table, we're either trying to win and seek profits or we're trying to avoid and and avoid losses, right? Or whatever it may be. Any two dynamics So what I'd encourage poker players to do is to get present in the situation when they've gone through it in the past and really crack the idea that winning is good and losing is bad and really start seeing both as neutral events. And what this helps is it helps take you out of an uh, outcome-based decision-making, which is where you're distracted and trying to seek after the winning and and avoid the losing. And the moment you take winning off the pedestal and losing at the pit, and you're no longer trying to seek winning, which you assume is pleasurable initially, or avoid uh, losing, which you assume is painful initially, you actually level the dynamic and you get present. Because you're no longer trying to seek or avoid something. All you're doing is you're, you're present at the moment, present in the moment. And from a, uh, I guess, a, a biochemistry perspective, the moment you see more challenge and support in your environment, You're going to try and avoid that and the blood glucose and oxygen actually goes to the most primitive part of your brain, which is your amygdala, which is the survival part of your brain, which is trying to avoid pain and seek pleasure. But the moment you do the exercise I just showed you and you make yourself aware that the pain actually has pleasure in it as well and advantage in it or this way, and the pleasure actually has pain in it and disadvantage in it and you level both, you see both as neutral The blood glucose and oxygen goes into the prefrontal cortex of your brain, which is the most executive part of your brain, the most uh, developed part of your brain, which is responsible for executive decision-making and strategy, which as a poker player, ideally you want to be in the executive part of your brain, not the animal uh, survival part of your brain. So to get present, to answer your question, to get present in the moment, the one thing I would encourage all poker players to do is to crack the idea that winning is good and see the disadvantages to winning and crack the idea that losing is bad, see the benefits to to losing level both. So you activate the more advanced part of your brain and you're in the best possible position to be present and just execute on what you know your, your poker strategy is or your poker game plan is.
0: That is so great. Thank you. So, much. you know, after this interview ends, I'm going to have to go back and re-listen to it. I'm going to take detailed notes. So everybody who's listening to the podcast or watching on YouTube, I'm going to have some pretty good show notes for you to learn from. So you definitely have to go to the show notes page for today wow pat thank you thank you so much for this time uh between me My and pleasure. you but also for the audience i really do appreciate it. you said some killer just some killer mindset stuff that we all need to hear we all need to learn we all need to implement in our lives not just poker players right anybody and that's obviously why you uh coach or train so many different players among so many different disciplines because that mental aspect having that strong mental i guess uh I don't know, a strong mental game, you know, is critical to, to having success and developing yourself uh, as a better whatever it is that you pursue, whether it's sports or poker or trading or whatever it might be. Mm-hmm. So thank you so much for your time today.
1: No, my pleasure. Thanks for having me on Sky. It and was, it was really, really great fun. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed it a lot.
0: So tell my audience, how can they learn more about you, learn more from you, get in contact with you?
1: Perfect. Yeah, well, I have my website, which is um, difficult to spell, but it's P A T. B-A-I-L-O-U-N-I, Um, And uh, you guys can find me on my, on my website. There's also some links down the bottom there, uh, which you can contact me through Instagram, through email um, or through my website. Um, and I also run uh, free, I guess, discovery calls or uh, free calls where I can jump on a call with you and I can share sort of my perspective on the challenges you're facing. And if coaching with me would be the best, you know, uh, the, the the best way to go forward with that if you resonate with me. Um, so I love to provide as much free value as I can. Um, so you can contact me through my website or through my Instagram or through my email. Anything like that works.
0: Perfect, perfect. So patbaylooney.com and uh, through the show notes page for today, smartpokerstudy.com slash Pat, you'll find a link there directly to Pat's website. So you can get there and they can contact you that way as well. well once again, Pat, thank you so very much. I really do appreciate your time today.
1: Thank you, Scott. Appreciate it.
0: All right, take care. Thank you so much for listening. And of course, thanks to Pat Baylooney for coming onto the podcast, dropping his mindset bombs on all of us. Your learning is not complete until you go to the show notes page, smartpokerstudy.com/slash Pat. And I want you to play some tournament poker with me. My $75 Smart Poker Study Guaranteed Tournament is taking place Saturday, the 17th, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on America's Card Room. You can find it in the Tourney Private tab. $3.30 buy-in. Smart Poker Study is the password. All lowercase, one word, Smart Poker Study. For more details, go to smartpokerstudy.com slash Tournament. I want 2021 to be your best poker year ever. And to help you do that, thepokerforge.com. There are eight masterclass courses, and I just started the ninth course called HUD Mastery. You've got to get in on this right now. Thepokerforge.com. Until next time, take action both on and off the felt to become the player that you want to be.